as we were, we pulled out of the campground, we're in that part of the 101, which goes down to just two lanes, one north, one southbound, where it gets curvy, like when you get into the redwoods. Mm-hmm. And this is something I always think about. Of like, I don't know. I think it's like a, a family protector hypervigilance like thing. Just past Bembo, basically. Exactly, yeah. And um, I always worry about like what's to stop. I can do everything right, but mm-hmm. if the car just pulls right out across the line and head in, head on. Which the, happened this morning? Oh God! It was. It it took me a solid hour to get my. Is your car okay? Right. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I don't care about my truck. I care about my family. Yeah, my whole family in the car. And this car comes around the bend and just doesn't turn. Comes right into our lane. I'm towing the trailer, so I can't just, like, veer off the road. Right. I, Although, I, I, what I, other option I, do you and have? I, and I can't slam on the brakes either. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and uh, it was it was close, man. Fuck, dude. It, I know. It I've... took me. I was. My heart was, like, in my throat. I was freaking out. There's not much you can do in that situation. Yeah, and and uh, my incl- just have a huge car. My inclination was to drop the trailer, and turn around, and fucking chase this guy down. <laughs> like you almost fucking killed me and my entire family. I was. I think you chase him with up. the trailer. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I so, think you catch so he, him. So he knows I know him business. Exactly. By the time you unhitch the trailer, make sure everyone's safe. Plus, you would impress your wife sunscreen. by doing a uh, Tokyo Drift with the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Just barely dodging all the redwoods. You ever get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up? You know that feeling that the whole country is like one inch away from saying, that's it, forget it. Let's see. Thanks, Mr. Uh, now, look, here's a house full of bees. Like you think the honey badger cares? It doesn't give a shit. Listen, let's get one thing straight. Price is right. Guns don't kill people. I think. Nice. Hell yeah. i Great song, isn't and it, dude? You know you're a geek for music. When I hear a snare sound, I'm like, outfield. Uh huh. Isn't that snare sound similar to uh, Big Country? It is, right? Yeah. They have a very similar kind of haunting and, sound to it. And them. also, uh, Big Country. One, I, I, if you can think of another one, let me know. But name of the band, name of the song, and also name of the album, <laughs> which is wow. amazing. And Whole album's good, and I we talked about how like uh, when I was touring at the time, we would do deep dives on uh, one hit wonders. Like, were they one hit wonders? And you go like, that band had one good song. Outfield, whole album, amazing. Yeah. Uh, the big country, whole album, amazing. 
Is it? Yes. I haven't listened to the full Yeah, album. They're, they're way into, they do a lot of like traditional like Irish stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. But really well, good. that, uh, the outfield has that Irish kind of sound to it to yeah. me. Or maybe I just, because I associate it with big country yeah. that I, that I think that, but, um, yeah. So you're saying basically that big country is the Pittsburgh sports of, uh, 80s music. Uh, cue me in here. Well, the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Pittsburgh Pirates all have the same colors. What about, black the, Bru- and gold. What about the Bruins? They're from Boston. Right. Okay. Testing you. Well done. Okay. <laughs> That's the test. <laughs> Should I play the sports bumper now? <laughs> or <Not> the sports. <laughs> Uh, we ever get any emails back from what ESPN? What is we this woman smoking? <laughs> <laughs> okay, alrighty, they stand corrected. But yeah, only only town in uh, pro sports where all the teams have the same nice colors. I like that. I like that. All right, uh, unless you got anything witty to say, I'm jumping right in. Okay, let's do it. With this, uh, apparently they have come to. A budget uh, agreement. Do you know anything about this? Uh, I'm aware that there is a ongoing screwing match about the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling. Yes, this is about yes, yes. Which, um, which seems it, to happen pretty but right on schedule every four years. Yeah, yeah. And we keep building the debt. What are we at? Thirty-one trillion dollars at this point. I'm going to say thirty-two, but 30, you know, 30, what, what's yeah, a trillion what's between, between dollars? <laughs> Uh, uh, we'll just send some of that to Ukraine. We'll send <laughs> level some off here. Like, yeah, we can give not worry about it. Just some COVID relief. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sure no one will account for that. Yep. Um, the so kind of g- going back to our basic unspoken theme of of the pod mm-hmm. here. Um, all right, the Jews. All right, hear me. No, just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, the the debt ceiling is this kind of. Did like, you hear what they said? <laughs> they were fucking joking. I know. Um, the debt ceiling is this like just the perfect most years, just your average kind of. Okay, let's all get fired up about something mm-hmm. that we know doesn't mean anything. We'll put some that, yellow caution tape around the state parks for a week. You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We were going to threaten to shut down the government. And God, we know that if the government gets shut down, that could that is the worst thing that could possibly happen mm-hmm. in the world. Um, because the government does so many wonderful things that we're all so happy. I uh, have this running, uh, speaking of inner monologues or inner dialogues, yeah, you know, <laughs> we never really parsed out completely, but is uh, I used to run like a uh, a kind of running litmus test of explain that to an alien. You can do the same thing. Explain that to the uh, founding fathers. Explain the uh, debt ceiling to, right. to the founding fathers. And then when they find it, well, the, then you're you're explaining it to uh, to to James Madison and um, the Department of what. He's like, well, hold edu- on. The Department of Education. Yeah. Why, why? No, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't do We said you can't do that. Oh, your silly parchment paper. <laughs> so uh, we, 
we we do this ritual of everyone acts like they're worried about the the debt ceiling, and we, then we love theater. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's theater, right? Exactly. And, and you're explaining it right to James Madison about how how like well, don't worry because the Republicans do not. They don't play ball. Oh, good, good. So they they don't let you raise the debt? No, sir. I mean, they do every single year. They're the the party of small government. (laughs) They pretend. They they make a pretty good effort, but they're outnumbered. I mean, and the the media is not on their side, so what can they do? So I I feel like um, the exact same thing is happening this year. (laughs) And it's so lame to give them credit for this, but I will give them the credit anyways that uh, it seems like what the Republicans are standing for this year is not increasing the budget. They want the budget to remain the same. Which is still atrocious. It, exactly. Yeah, right. It's not moving in the right direction, yeah. but it's also not moving in the wrong direction. Yeah. It's a tie. Yeah. Right? It's the English soccer of budget negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, here is... Uh, Debbie, uh, what's her name? Uh, Dingle. Um, Senator from, come on, ah, Michigan, maybe, Wisconsin? Somewhere up there, I think. Um, talking about the, what a shame it is and how annoyed she is that in order to pass this uh, agreement on the debt ceiling, to raise the debt ceiling, that they have to make certain concessions. I believe they start out talking about um, the NEPA Act, mm-hmm. which was the Environmental Protection Act that says that the federal any project that is funded by federal money has to go through an environmental impact report, mm-hmm. which normally, as builders we can attest to being extremely annoying and ridiculous. Yes, sir. Um, because as, as a private citizen, you buy a piece of land, you want to build a house on it. And some no, government agency no, says, no, 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 you're not just going to start building stuff on the own, <laughs> on the land that you own. Yeah, exactly. Yo, how it works. I have, sorry, buddy, but the tiger salamander was there first. And, if you can figure out a way to build your house and not disrupt the tiger salamander, then go right ahead. But that tiger salamander has to live, right? Michigan. Okay. Deb Dingle. I either said that or I was in the geography. I was in, <laughs> okay. I was in the vicinity. Um, and her husband, I guess, wrote that uh, NEPA act. Anyways, I don't know why I'm giving you all these uh, gotcha, gotcha. details in the weeds, but uh, here she is. You're going to love the second part. Okay their water, the air, their soil. And what that is about, just because you bring this up and it's really, really important, it is something that says that when there is a project that involves federal funding, there is an environmental assessment to determine whether or not that project can go forward. What Republicans are saying is that they are changing the bar on uh, what needs to be assessed, that some things should be able to go forward and get permitting without the examination that they otherwise would have. The argument Republicans put forward is that it slows down the process to have to have everything looked at from an environmental perspective. That's correct. And by the way, I do know it needs to be speed up. Look, I come from a business background, uh, and I know that these projects are taking too long and that we've got to go faster. 
But growing faster doesn't mean you cut the legs out under something. The, the, the actual texture is going to really matter. And I'll tell you something that really has me annoyed. There is nothing I can do about it. It is not something that any of us should ever not for the vote for this bill over. But the fact is that they cut back on money being invested in IRS workers. Those IRS workers were not oh, going geez. after everyday working men and women. They were going after the revenue. They were going yes. after the billionaires and the corporations Thank that you need for to pay their that. fair share. This fucking tool interviewing to thank you for saying that. Right. Thank you. Because that's been that's such a misconception that they were just gonna be going after the little guy. What they're actually doing is going after these billionaires who are God, they're being such criminals by following the exact laws that were put in place by people like you in order to create loopholes that they could that they could work around. And we're going to stop that not with legislation, not by fixing the problems with the tax code, but with these IRS agents. They're yeah. going to just go in there and the, the hard-working men and women of the IRS. Yeah, exactly. Just trying to earn a, e a decent living. Yep, just making things. Yeah, you know, building things just like to a make carpenter. Yep, yep, yep. Producing. Totally. Producing. Yes. Producing. Not, not getting in the way of, not prohibiting, producing. They're makers. How twisted is your mind? That's how, well, okay. So let's get, let's do this. Do you think she believes that? I of course thought that okay. while I was while I was listening to this, uh, yeah, when I found this, this I don't morning, think any of these people actually believe that. I don't see how they could. You'd be a fucking idiot. I'm you, I'm that's the how first. Yeah, I'm yeah. the first person to give them some leeway mm -hmm. and say um, they're just so brainwashed. They've yeah. been in the system so long, you know. Or they have a narrative. They have their marching orders. Like here, here's here's where we're at. And they get I, out there. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I do believe that. And that's a lot us, of them believe it. And that's us being charitable. I, yeah, I think some of these people actually like. I think like an AOC who's a fucking dimwit. Yeah. she does believe that stuff. Yeah, and but. is is blind to the contradictions in her own yeah thought. But I think that this lady who her she and her husband have been in politics their entire lives. Mm -hmm. They can't possibly uh, not know public service. You oh, meant to say public, servants. Pub, public service. They are our servants. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Miss Dingle, bring me a glass of water, please. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've never heard that <laughs> sentence before. <laughs> no, they, of course she knows what's going to go on with the IRS. I actually have an article. Uh, I didn't really want to go too deep into this, but okay. I, I, I do have an article um, about how it's a... The fact. About the defunding of the IRS and mm -hmm. the 187,000 new is it 87,000 87, yeah. new IRS agents yeah. is is not factually correct. Okay. Um, and just to summarize it, the the reason that the fact check says this. Oh boy. Does the fact I, check? Hey, I, I, I tell them to like this. Is because those 87,000 new IRS agents are not an additional 87,000 agents mm -hmm. because some of the agents that are existing today are going to retire or uh, be phased out or have different jobs that they have to go into. Okay. And so we're adding these agents. Is it's it not, rough, it's roughly 87,000? I know. Well, even if it was, <laughs> yes, I know that they're retiring. That's the point. We want them to retire. Yes. We don't want 87,000 new agents, yeah. armed agents, by the way. It's not, we're not wrong in this, people. All right, hold on one second. What's up, Gertrude? Hey. Oh, you're podcasting. Shoot. All right, I'll text you. Bye. Everything good? 
Yeah, I was just going to... We're heading... Are you podcasting right now? Yes, you're on the show. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> we always get the cold shoulder from Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so anyways, let's uh, continue with the old uh, Miss Dingle, Debbie Dingle. Yeah, thank Absolutely you for saying annoying. that because that's what we, we know that the IRS under collects from people because they are underfunded <laughs> and understaffed. This was meant we, to repair. Oh. Uh, who do they wow, under collect wow, from? Wow. Do they under collect from billionaires? No, 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 no. This is this is how it was this MSNBC. This is how this works. And we're going to get into this like later. But when they like irrefutably st- make these statements. Well, no, we know that they under collect from people. Yeah. Really, really. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you guys are stepping up to the plate. I had this realization of, um, it was someone from, from the Biden administration talking about financial responsibility. I'm like, you guys take not, this isn't left or right, but you guys take half of everyone's shit more or less every year. And you're still 31, 32 trillion dollars in debt. <laughs> Why would I listen to you about financial responsibility? Right, right, right. We know, we know that they're under collecting. No receipts. Bring me the fucking receipts. Well, how do you know that? How do you know that? Look, I know that. I'm not gonna say how I know that, but <laughs> just this guy I know. There's a guy that I know who writes off things for his business that I hope you're sitting down for this. Yeah, aren't actually for his business. God, I gotta look into that. I lost my balls this year. No, this guy is a criminal, Matt. I can't believe you just said that. Yeah. He deserves to go to jail and rot in there for right. not giving all 50% of his income to the IRS. Of course, we know that people are not, that the IRS is, un, quote, guy, under collecting. This guy must be a billionaire, not paying his fair share. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Let me see. I think he drives a, hold on a second. Yeah, he drives a Ford F-350 and uh, looks like he works for a living. <laughs> Odd choice of an automobile for a billionaire. Yeah, I think he just wants, he's doing that blue-collar chic yeah. thing that Gab McInnes is like, always talking like about. Like those IRS agents, you know, just, just one of down-home uh, working hard folk. Hard-working folk, exactly. <laughs> Trying to make exactly. ends meet. Trying to make ends meet. All right, so, yes, I, I don't argue that with that. He is correct. The IRS is technically under-collecting yeah. because of... Criminals like the person I'm describing right here. But you know who they're not under collecting from? Billionaires. The Pentagon? There is no <laughs> there is no incentive for a billionaire or a millionaire, a rich millionaire, yeah. to cheat on their taxes. Yeah. They're, all the incentive is to pay your taxes perfectly and do whatever you can to influence the tax code in a way that you can wiggle your way into all these loopholes that exist because of people like Ms. Dingle. Yeah. Here. All right. They, that's the game they're playing. <laughs> I'll always find that name funny. <laughs> How couldn't you? So when he's saying, in the first sentence, he said, it, we're not going after the little guys. We're going after billionaires because the IRS knows that they're under collecting. No. You, yeah. That's a contradictory statement. The only people they're under collecting for from are hardworking Americans. Yeah, and this is something that I've lost track of how many times I've brought this up to people when they talk about, like, you know, they just hired 87,000 new IRS agents. And there was a clause in that bill that said there would be a caveat that they weren't going to increase the amount of audits under people making families making under $400,000 a year. Yeah. And the Biden administration threw that out. Right. There you go. Because there's only so many billionaires in this country and they're pretty heavily scrutinized. Yeah. Right? Is why would they take that clause out? Is they're hammering fucking waitresses and construction workers and 
you know, why would billionaires they're, they're take ha- they're hammering the middle class? Why would billionaires take the risk of not paying their full taxes? They don't take the risk. They just when they all they have to do is hire enough attorneys right. to just this is make their make their legally make right. their tax burden near zero. Right, which is what we talked about. Like if you I, I listened to it a podcast with a tax attorney, he said this is like, well, it's pretty simple if you think about it, because if you're making a hundred grand a year, right? Which I know in some parts of the country, man, you're killing it. California, like no. you're doing all right. You're like you're you decently, yeah. You, you're, you paying be- your, you're paying your mortgage and bills. You better have a roommate, right? <laughs> <laughs> and what you know, and the the delineation that he was making is that like the the reason why they took that out that that clause of like we're not going to increase audits under people making under four hundred thousand dollars a year is like that's the people they're in that sweet spot. They're making enough money where they can pay their taxes, pay their bills. They probably are not making enough money where they can hire one, two, three lawyers to fight like a tax case if they get audited. And that's what they're kind of banking on, right? right? That's the spot that our social circle kind of lays in, right? Right. If I get audited, if I get hammered by the IRS, like I can't afford an attorney. Like I'll just, I just write the check. I'm like, I just, I can't deal with this. I have to go back to work. I'm going to have to make some adjustments and figure this out. That's what they're banking on. That's where all this new revenue is coming from. That's the only place it exists. Yeah. That's the only blood they're going to get out of anything that they squeeze. Yeah. Not going to get out of rocks or turn. They're, they're not going after the super rich. They're not going after the people that aren't making any money. Right. There's just no, no there's blood to be squeezed out of that squoze? rock. Squoes. <laughs> I believe it's squozing. Yeah. And, but the, it's that middle class. People are like, oh, I'm doing all right. Like putting a little away for retirement and trying to do the best I can. Like, Let's take that shit from these people. Totally. Yeah. To say that those people, because the work average working stiff can't dodge taxes. It comes off their paycheck and there are no deductions. That is correct. I mean, I, it, I don't think it's enough to make anybody vote against the bill. But people need to understand revenue was never on the table for these discussions. Yes. I think billionaires should pay their fair share. Mm-hmm. The Donald Trump tax cuts incentivized American corporations to offshore overseas. I think we should. Yeah, but they were law. They were legal. For sure, make the pivot to Trump so you get us all. Yeah, exactly. Up. Exactly. Be taking back those incentives, and they flat out refuse for that to be on the table. Now, look, I understand we cannot default, but I will not be held hostage, and I want to know what I'm voting for. I'm going to look at that text, I'm going to read it before I tell anybody how I'm voting. Which puts her in the uh, 0.1% right. of all Congress people that have read the bills that they vote on. Or to quote the great Nancy Pelosi, like, we have to pass it to find out what's in it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, what percentage, and this is video, so, mm-hmm. uh, but what percentage of her face is Botox, do you think? Because there's some really weird shit yeah, going it's on weird. with her forehead. Well, definitely not her lips. Yeah. She has the, uh, both lips together about the width of a magazine. This looks like if my wife put me on her uh, video editing software, like, can you put someone else's eyes on this face? I'm like, I'm not much of a computer guy. Uh, yeah. Give me like 20 minutes to see what I can do. She has a remarkably Donald Trumpian hair uh, situation going on, doesn't she? Yeah. Interesting. I'm guessing not a natural blonde. Mm. Not anymore, anyways. Yeah, there's some uh, weird AI shit going on. Yeah, but anyways, that's you and I aren't the kind of guys that would uh, make fun of someone's appearances. So yeah. Let's, Immutable let's, characteristics. Yeah. Yep. Um, do you mind if we take a small break?
I found an article that I thought was kind of interesting. And uh, this is not the main topic I want to get into. Okay. <laughs> Just enough to Have you heard of a Dr. Henry White? No. Because this made me think of an old saying that I heard. Do- Dr. Henry White specializes in animal genetics and animal cloning. And he works on longevity of animals and does a lot of work in the arena of canines. Ah. And there's that old saying, if you're going to if you're going to draw attention to yourself, don't don't expect all of it to be good, which I think anyone that's ever been on social media can attest to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this guy's work became so prolific that Florida man, which all good things start after that phrase, uh, Joseph Johnson uh-huh. kidnapped Dr. Henry White. Really? And you find this article, Florida man kidnapped scientists in desperate attempt to make his dog immortal. Uh, so he kidnapped this, daughter, this doctor. I can relate to this guy. I see. I, that's I the know. thing. I told him, I'm I like, know. I don't know who the bad guy is here. Yeah. God damn. <laughs> Although, this. this guy's dog must still be of a uh, young age, though, I'm guessing, because my dog is currently 16. Right. And she shits in the house on her way outside to go poop. You could tell she doesn't want to shit in the house because she's on her way out the doggy door and it just yeah. falls out of her ass yeah. onto the carpet. It, it's, it's the canine it's, version of uh, premature ejaculation. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm just red faced. This usually never happens. <laughs> so she, uh, you know, probably going to die soon. And uh, to echo my wife's own sentiments. Clean that up. (laughs) She said to the dog one day, she goes, she goes, Grace, would you just die already? (laughs) (laughs) So if you're kidnapping a scientist to make your dog live forever, you're doing it before they get to this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Point well made there for sure. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to pay something off is we had talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, we were talking about the the whole like anthrax scare. You remember this? Yes. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about the bacteria. Oh, we were talking about the band? I, I, I guess I didn't know. I thought we were talking about bacteria. We can do both. Okay. I got to be honest. I'm... Uh, I'm a lot less scared of the band. <laughs> they almost is, sound like quaint. Yes. Don't yeah, they? With putting in putting into the context of today's music, yes. Yeah. That is a song among the living from the Like you could listen to that while you're like fishing. Right, right. <laughs> that was one of my favorite albums when I was a kid. It was like in my top three. Uh funny side note. The lyrics to that song, Among the Living by Anthrax, is based on the Stephen King book, The Stand, which was my summertime reading from the ages of oh, 11 to 15. I read that book every single summer, wow. which was about a uh, virus called Captain Trips that just wiped right. out the vast majority of the population and the book being based on like what happens now, which is always the most fascinating thing about those movies and those books. You totally. Know, like, how do we rebuild? Who turns on who? You know, What do we do? Yeah, yeah, great book. Yeah, uh, what a, it's a great genre of book. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, post-apocalyptic sure. virus book. We've talked about this before on the podcast. I feel like we're repeating ourselves, but I, I actually really liked the, the miniseries that they made for the stand. I like the way it was filmed. Yeah, there is an odd thing 
there's a weird chasm between, I don't know what the words are, because that old, all those old Stephen King books, I mean, Skeleton Crew, Four Seasons, The Mist, um, which was a short story, but such an amazing, prolific writer. And his movies were always like overly campy, like kind of mm-hmm. like very bizarre mm-hmm. like, and cheesy in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But Pet Cemetery, like the yeah special effects were not like obviously intentional because it's consistent every time. It seems like it. Yeah, yeah. I I'm remember sure mini- he had a lot of control over that. Yeah, well, I remember the miniseries of The Stand coming out, going like, "Oh, this is give me insane." I remember watching, I'm like, "Hey, wow, <laughs> this is very, very odd." Because it's one of the one of my favorite books of all time. It, it's a great book. Um, so I bring this up with the anthrax thing, because we, when we were talking about it, I was like, I remember there being a scare, but it's been kind of erased from my memory. It's not something you hear like people talking about. And then I'm sure you are familiar with the independent journalist, uh, Glenn Greenwald. I've heard of him. Yeah. Phenomenal journalist does, does some amazing work. And then he brought the point. He wrote some articles on this back in... One of the, the few true journalists. Right. right? Journalists who live up to the title journalist. Yeah, absolutely. Him, um, Matt Taibbi, uh, Schellenberger, Laura Logan, all these people that broke off from the corporate media establishment and going like, I, I want to do real news. That's what I'm... That's my calling. That's what I'm here to do. And I can't do it writing for the New York Times or working for CNN or Fox or MSNBC. And Glenn Greenwald brings up a pretty good point. Um the most important ingredient for state propaganda is historical ignorance. And by that, what he meant is like, and let me set the table here for those of you obsessed with intersectionality. uh, Glenn Greenwald comes from the left and is gay. So we can stop worrying about stuffing (laughs) some square peg into a round hole that, you know, he's some conspiracy. Is that a gay joke? (laughs) (laughs) Always the one about to make a point. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, pretty solid, though. <laughs> and then he also quotes a uh, Spanish-American philosopher. I'm sure you've heard this quote. George uh, Santayana. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Dude, it's so funny that you're bringing up those quotes really? right now. Because I was thinking about that today when I was just kind of dwelling on the sadness of how our world is turning into this just Marxist nightmare. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it happen before. Mm -hmm. I think I thought of it because I was thinking about the Romans. You are going right down the path that I've been on. Yeah, Okay, for sure. Wow, finally. Finally, we're on the same page. (laughs) Um, I was thinking about how, learning about how the Romans were dealing with the same kind of like transsexual stuff before the fall of the the Roman Empire. And um, it's like, it doesn't matter. We've heard it all before. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Those who don't know history are bound to repeat it. I mean, maybe, maybe what we're seeing is that just a bunch of dumb Americans who don't know history are repeating it. Right. And people like us who know history are more reluctant. But I don't know that that's true. I think even if you know the history, if there is a powerful enough force yeah, pushing you into it, there's nothing you can do about there's it. There's also, uh, I, I believe that once um, societies or cultures, uh, you know, get to a certain, I don't know what the word would be, uh, well, a certain level of like decadence mm-hmm. and being comfortable. Yeah, it's it's strong uh, men 
bad times. Right. Good exactly. Men, weird, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And and uh, it's you you suffer from a degree of complacency of like, well, that would never, no one would ever invade America, for example, or we would never, it would never end up, you know, that stuff that goes on on the other side of the world, like it would never like come here. Yeah. And then it starts to come here and you're like, well, if you go back 50, 70 years, like this happened, like, you know, just because it didn't happen in your lifetime, I think it's a little absurd to think that it's not a possibility. And that's something that Glenn, Greenwald brings up, he goes, a lot of, this, a lot of these historical patterns are based on, um, on the fact that when you get, when you have a historical event and you get far enough away from it, you have enough people, you know, our culture, our population, our society having the fucking memory of a goldfish, where, you know, as we say, we're the plastic castles, a surprise every time. And you get enough people that weren't alive when that event happened, like say like a like a nine eleven or something like that. Yeah, they don't have it, firsthand it, memories of it. Right. It becomes it begins to become inconsequential within the context of the zeitgeist when you are attributing like major historical events. Yeah, because your your memory of it has to rely on what people tell you about it. Right. Which is it's funny. I remember in the eighties being a kid. For whatever reason, I associate this memory with walking to school. When I lived in Maryland, mm-hmm. I lived in an apartment complex that was close enough to... Oh, we're going to talk about Maryland, too. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess, Fort Detroit? <laughs> um, that we would, I would walk to school. Anyway, I don't know why I associated with walking mm-hmm. to school, but I remember thinking on my way to school multiple times about the Vietnam War and what that was like. And I only right. had a memory of it from what my mom told me about it. And mm-hmm. at that time, the Vietnam War was one of the most consequential events in American history. Because that, was, that was the, uh, for people our age, that was the event. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even today, it's a, a very, you know, very consequential yeah. event. And I remember thinking about it then about like how it was something that was so long ago. And I wonder what it was like back then. And I don't, you know, it was, it was totally foreign. I'd seen some movies and even that seemed old. The movie seemed old. It yeah. seemed like it was just a totally different era. Well, I was only like 10 years separated from it. Right. At that point. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think that that's the same thing. When we talk about, you were just talking about 9-11 or these other events that happened in our lifetime mm-hmm. that are so consequential and people need to realize like how important it is to 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 not walk down the same footsteps of the, the people in Rome yeah. who let the barbarians through the gates. Um, and it's just kind of like, I, what a, you're talking to me when I was 10 years old, right? Thinking that this was ancient history, not being able to understand it, except through the media, through movies. And as we know, Hollywood and the media are, uh, you know, very honest and truthful. So thank God for that. (laughs) So we talked about Vietnam and Vietnam was that consequential event, you know, that we can remember in our recent lifetimes. And then it was knocked down to second place when 9-11 happened. Like that was the biggie. You know, for uh-huh. people our age, like we, yeah. we remember that happening when we were at the age where we were cognizant enough to uh, try to process that, and like, why would yeah. this happen? Like, how did this? How did this happen? And when we talked about the, you know, immediately after that, the decision to invade Iraq, passing the Patriot Act, and implementing, you know, the agenda of the Project for a New Century, New American Century, 
which we talked about quite a bit on this, and the decision to invade seven country in five years, um, we all we all tie that back to 9-11. 9-11 was the impetus for all of that, turning the U.S. into a surveillance state and basically restructuring the Middle East in our image. And when I started looking into Anthrax, is not the band, is I started... <laughs> Although well, all ideas are on the table right now. <laughs> I mean, we tie some shit back to Tom yeah. Cochran. Like, who knows? Because you're after Vietnam, the next war that we had was the invasion of Iraq. But that happened before 9-11. It right? was, it, and it was uh, not that big a deal. The plan was made before 9-11. We went into Iraq the first time. The first time under... Kicked our, ass, took names. It yeah. was just kind of, you know, like it was over in no time. It was theater. And I remember, I was actually home, I was in Ferndale when that happened. It was my seventh grade year that I spent in Ferndale. And I was homesick that weekend mm -hmm. when we invaded Iraq. And I remember watching on the news and being terrified. It was one of the first times that the corporate media gave you the multimedia show to watch a war yeah. being executed. Yeah, you ready for this? As, as macabre like, as yeah. that sounds, yeah. No, that's what it was. And yeah. it wasn't like WWE, but it was like... That repeat, I just remember that cycle of film, those, like, they would be like dailies if you were yeah. making a movie. Right, right, right. Of rockets hitting buildings, of, you know, all these, like, nighttime kind of rocket, like, tracers flying through the I air. I remember I was working my first job at a pizza parlor. I lied about my age so I could get a job. I think I was 14 years old. But they had it on the TV. I was watching Rocket Strikes. Yeah. Thinking, like... That's kind of crazy. This is on TV. Being a yeah. kid, you know what I mean? Like, So you were a sophomore in high school, I think. It's so funny. I was yeah. just thinking about this today. Yeah, I was a sophomore, yeah. You were a sophomore. I was in seventh grade yeah. in the same uh, grade as your sister. Mm -hmm. And I was homesick, and I was terrified that this was happening. And yeah. I remember my parents telling me, like, hey, it's on the other side of the world. You don't really have to worry, which, you know. There's that complacency. Is kind of convenient <laughs> yeah. when you're an American paying for wars. Right. You know. Uh, but then I got to school... And uh, a bunch of my friends were like, they had like know, newspapers or magazines open and they were, they were talking about like this tank and this jet and these yeah. things. And it was this like hyped up, like, about, fuck yeah. Like, yeah, they were like, talking about like Scud missiles and yeah. smart bombs and uh, with the cruise it, missiles. And, and I would have probably been one of them if I was at school the day that that happened. But right. because I was separated and I, because I was homesick, yeah. when I got there, it was kind of shocking. I was like, whoa, like this isn't, I, I, I remember thinking at that time, this is crazy. I don't think this is good. Yeah. So anti, I don't know. I, anti, not, I'm not trying to be. <laughs> I I'm not more morally. You know, I don't know. I'm not trying to virtue signal there. It just happened, my circumstances put me in that spot. So the more that I looked into this uh, anthrax stuff, is I realized like, wow, I can't believe I, I I forgot. You know, I I I take responsibility. Like I lost some memory here. Like um, I forgot how much the anthrax scare played into the role of us invading Iraq. Yeah. Something that got glossed over. It kind of got forgotten to history. The Florida man has contracted a very rare and potentially deadly form of anthrax. Rare inhaled form of anthrax. Health and Human Services Secretary Tommy Thompson calls it an isolated case and says there was no threat of terrorism. In Boca Raton, Florida today, a memorial service for Bob Stevens. He is almost certainly the first American to be killed in a deliberate anthrax attack.
Now to the home front and those concerns over anthrax in Florida. After one man died from the illness and his co-worker was contaminated, the FBI has taken over the investigation. America strikes back. Anthrax, another infection. This time at NBC News and Rockefeller Plaza. Good evening. Tonight we find ourselves in the unusual and unhappy position of reporting on one of our beloved colleagues, a member of my personal staff who has contracted a cutaneous anthrax infection. Until you brought it up the other day to me, yeah, uh, you didn't tell me what you're about to talk about, but you, you brought it up and I thought, oh, that's right. That happened right after 9-11. Which is the exact same thing that happened to me is when we were talking, I was like, oh yeah, the anthrax scared. I remember like, I remember being like legitimately worried about that as mm -hmm. someone who was like, just getting my foothold into decipher, you know, deconstructing media and figuring out like that, you know, we are being ruled by a bunch of fucking lying psychopaths. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this was the beginnings of the origin. The invasion of Iraq being like the major impetus for like, oh, like I, why are we invading Iraq? And I looked into this this anthrax scare, and uh, I think we're gonna do some of this stuff. Is uh, it's become kind of a regular payoff, as we call it, the normie payoff. <laughs> we talk to people because I feel, you know, I feel like we riff on some of the stuff and, you know, banter back and forth and send articles back and forth. And then you go out into the wild and talk to people and they're like, I, I don't, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of, who's Donald Rumsfeld? I've never heard of him. Like anthrax, you know what I mean? And so you think about Crazy. that this was the catalyst for what brought us the Patriot Act, you know, thank you to the project for a new American century that was sold to us because of nine 11, but also because of this anthrax scare. And what that brought us is what unlawful detentions, warrantless wiretaps, 90% uh, of all of our drone strikes and bombing campaigns being innocent civilians, uh, unlawful detentions. Um, what else? Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, a complete authoritarian stranglehold over the entire country, yeah. which has never gone away. N making torture A-OK. -okay. Right. Waterboarding. And when you, speaking of the Nori Paidoff, you're like, you know, you can go and look at the Project for a New American Century and their PDF. What you, you can download this PDF. You can read it. And this was written well before 9-11. This is like, here's our plan. We just got to figure out a way to get off the ground. We've hit this like several times. And the normal payoff is, you know, when you tell people that, like, really? Like, yes. Where do you find that? It's online. You can download the PDF. And how do you know that's real, though? Well, you go to the top. You look at, there's a little date of when it was written. And you know what? Fucking never mind. Um, you catch that game last night. <laughs> just like, I, I give up. It's not that hard. Do five minutes. Well, fuck it. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so this ties back to what we were talking about uh, a few episodes too, episodes ago with the Operation Gladio and keeping the population in this constant heightened state of fear, this mm -hmm. low, vib low vibration state of fear. Because when people are scared, they're going to look, there's the appeal to authority, like uh, do something, help me, like do something, yeah. like, like oh, we're doing something. Problem, reaction, solution. Mm -hmm. We already know what we're gonna do. We knew that years ago. Um, we just need you guys to shut the fuck up and get out of our way, so we can get this thing off the ground. And that's where this anthrax scare kind of came in, because 9/11 was, as we said, it was the most like was an inside job. 
It was the most. Like, All right, you want to go there? <laughs> was the most significant event in our lifetimes, right? Vietnam being for our parents or whatever. But the problem with with nine eleven. It only happened on the East Coast. They had the rest of the country to worry mm-hmm. about. Now, all of a sudden, I forgot about this, or I just didn't retain it, right, as a memory, is the anthrax scare began seven days after 9-11, one week later. So you had 9-11 happen, and one week later, all of a sudden, there's random envelopes being mailed around the U.S. with anthrax in them. Well, as if you weren't alive at Which that I time. I didn't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. If you weren't alive at that time, um, be shocked that you're listening to our podcast. But <laughs> um, just in case, uh, it was kind of like, okay, that terrorist attack happened on U.S. soil. Right. Any other terrorist attack was just kind of like, yep. Fine. Yeah, of course. That's what we're dealing with now. Like, everything's a terrorist attack. Like, mm-hmm. they could have said anything at that point. You'd be like, yep, they're after us. Of course. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't have given it a second thought. Whereas if that anthrax scare had happened without the, uh, without 9-11 kind of preempting it, it might, you might have given it a little bit more scrutiny. But right. they could have said just about anything. And you were yeah. just like, yep, for those motherfuckers. Yeah, they're after us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, Friends of ours who are sane individuals were like on their way down it's to all group the <laughs> we're picking from down to the marine recruiting office to sign up and go fight terrorists yeah. at that point. People were fired up. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. What a great time just to I mean, not that I'm I don't know where you're going with this. Yeah. But if you wanted to just throw shit out there and see if it's stuck. This is the time to do it. Like yes. everyone's mind is wide open to expect that terrorist attacks are coming from every angle all around you. Anyone with brown skin was probably a Muslim terrorist, even if they're Mexican, and you were just all on heightened alert. Well, one, well done, my man, because that's where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, um, these letters, you know, seven days after 9-11, all major media outlets on just coordinated with each other, started talking about these highly sophisticated and weaponized strain of anthrax being mailed to newsrooms newsrooms, and random politicians. And most of these were coming with a letter. And like, for example, this one went to uh, Congressman Tom Dash, uh, or this one went to Tom Brokaw from ABC. The, uh, That's highly, the one I remember. Yeah, highly esteemed, you know, news reader of our time. <laughs> <laughs> it said, the letter said, this is next. Take penicillin now. Death to America, death to Israel. All that was great. And to make sure that no link was lost for those fucking dummies out there, it had the date 9-11 on the top. So we could easily make the connection like, okay, like this is all, you know what I mean? This is all part of the same package here. It says nine twelve on it and everyone's like, hmm, if, is it related? I don't know. <laughs> It was one day later. I wonder late, but didn't say nine eleven on it. I don't know. I think it's a separate issue. Um, that's so if, stupid. If, <laughs> no, I know it is. And if anyone can think of something, I am so sick of <laughs> yes, these exactly. warmongering pedophiles. <laughs> if anyone can think of something our government has done in recent history where the phrase "we deserve better psyops" is not more appropriate, <laughs> like please send it my way. <laughs> So in uh, large part to... We should know, have a like a national contest. I know. 
So now we have talking about referring to Operation Gladio and keeping a population in a constant low vibration state of fear. Like we have it. Everyone's panicked now because now it's just not 9 11. It's not the people that were in the Twin Towers. It's like anyone at any time could be getting one of these letters. I looked back at these articles and stop me when this starts to sound familiar, but everyone being in such a state of fear that they were putting on face masks and gloves to open their mail. Now all of a sudden. Oh, yes. I feel like we've seen that movie before. So since so here's where it gets interesting. So then I, now I'm looking into the um, the, the the details and the ins and outs of anthrax and how anthrax works. And anthrax is a incredibly like lightweight spore, right? And it needs basically a, it's a bacteria, right? It's a bacteria. Okay. And it needs a delivery mechanism. Otherwise it just flies up into the air. It's incredibly like lightweight. And, ah. and so what the wait, so just to understand yeah. what you're saying, yep. when you say delivery mechanism, it needs to be attached to something. Exactly. That's where yeah. the white powder precisely. Yeah. Comes in. So it could be like flour, but the anthrax is attached to the flour. Right. Right. Okay. It's like cutting your uh, cocaine with baking soda or something like that. Probably not the same. I mean, that's, that's what my old roommate told me. <laughs> he is a millionaire, by the way. <laughs> so they, um, so the FBI comes right out and says, "Well, the we broke down the genetic profile of this particular strain of anthrax, and this is the calling card of Saddam Hussein and the Iraqi bioweapons labs, and the reason why." They love that term calling card. Yeah, right. And the reason why that we know that is... Because he left his card. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is the delivery mechanism, the, you know, the, the, the what delivered the spores or the, the pathogen was something called betonite. Mm. Yeah, which is a, incredibly rare, apparently. And only Iraq uses this to uh-huh. deliver anthrax, Yeah. Because besides it being the primary ingredient of all kitty litter in the entire U.S., um, only yeah. Iraq uses that to deliver they have anthrax. Many more cats in Iraq than we do in the United States. It's well known. I dildo that. Saddam Hussein was nothing there. came up. <laughs> really, he was a cat. He was a cat <laughs> lady. It seems a little <laughs> hot for cats. <laughs> so, a reminder: the you know the agenda for the project for New American Century is written written way before 9-11 and way before these anthrax attacks, right? But all of a sudden, the solutions, problem, reaction, solution, all seem to perfectly mirror the agenda of the PNAC, where they want to invade seven countries in five years. Number one was Iraq. They're dead set, back going back to 1997, we need to invade Iraq. And I found clips of, it was one of the main like one of the main people pushing this, and it was bi-party. It wasn't right, it wasn't left, it was everyone. It was your Joe Lieberman, it was John McCain, who I'm pretty sure would order a drone strike if you got his fucking dinner order wrong. <laughs> and it was, uh, but you know who was like the, the, the main vocal propaganda pusher for invading Iraq back then? Uh, Donald Rumsfeld. Yes, and? Dick Cheney. And, yes, and? Uh, Joe Biden. Yeah. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. I think you and I believe, and many of us believe here, as long as Saddam's at the helm, there is no reasonable prospect 
you or any other inspector is ever going to be able to guarantee that we have rooted out, root and branch, the entirety of Saddam's program relative to weapons of mass destruction. And you and I both know, and all of us here really know, and it's the thing we have to face, that the only way, the only way we're going to get rid of Saddam Hussein is we're going to end up having to start it alone, start it alone, and it's going to require guys like you in uniform to be back on foot in the desert taking the son of a, the uh, taking Saddam down. Yeah, he gave. I just don't think of him as having um, what is the his word? faculties, I, <laughs> ideas. <laughs> yes. Well, this is back in '98. A lot has happened since then. That back when he, he was like what, like seventy two back in ninety eight. What, what is he? One hundred and forty now. So, yeah, so go back, carry the one. Yeah, yeah it's about seventy five. Yeah, about that. About that. So now we have the uh, corporate media is in a full court press getting their propaganda from the State Department, saying like, "Yep, it's uh, these Iraqi forces, and they, you know, due to the prevalence of bentonite and the anthrax attacks." We know that this is a bioterrorism attack from Iraq. We know it. Therefore, we need to go to Iraq. And then we have every talk show. We have Meet the Press. We have Joe Lieberman. We have John McCain. We have Donald Rumsfeld. Um, All the people, and you look up the names of these people, they all were part of the Project for New American Century. And they were, their marching orders were, all they talked about was anthrax, right? Anthrax chemical weapons, uh, they eventually morphed into WMDs at that point. But the point was, is them going on all these major media platforms to say, like, look, no one is safe. You, you know, housewife in Kansas City or whatever, you're going to get one of these letters and your family's going to die of anthrax. Unless we invade Iraq, that's the only way that we can stop this. They, I found this great clip of uh, David Letterman after, after 9-11, um, Went on a hiatus. I don't know if you remember this. He said, "Like, it's just it's inappropriate to make jokes." I do a comedy I, show. Yeah, I do yeah, remember I him. Kind of remember this. Leaving the air and then coming back on. Yeah. Do you remember who one of his first guests were when he came back? Yeah. No. John McCain and Joe Lieberman, who huh. came on and instead of doing comedy, they talked the entire time about how these anthrax attacks were coming from Saddam Hussein, and because they had bentonite in them, that's the proof that this is a bioterrorism attack from Iraq, which is Saddam Hussein's calling card. On, on the David Letterman show, mm-hmm. and David Letterman shows that there, you know, the, the good corporate show that he was, I mean, I think he's hilarious, but just that they're like, yeah, interesting. Like this is, this, yeah, this is definitely a time to be scared. Wow. So Stephen Colbert is not the first late night to just <laughs> no, totally tow the company He's definitely line, huh? the best at it. Uh, it's a tie between him and Jimmy Kimmel as far as shoving the corporate cock down their throats. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like we had that very, like kind of the origins of it with uh, David Letterman. So when we talk about problem, reaction, solution, that's, there's a psychological term for that, which is the Hegelian dialectic, which you, I'm sure you heard that before. Of course. <laughs> yes. More on you think I am. It's uh, the technical definition. Definition is uh, philosophy, philosophy and interpretive method in which the contradiction between a proposition, quote, thesis and its antithesis is resolved at a higher level of truth. <laughs> what that actually yeah. means. I'm just going to edit that part out. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what that actually means is, I problem, reaction, solution. That's what it is. I create the problem. 
you react, and then I give you the solution. I've already had the solution. That's what we talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been a common theme on this podcast with almost everything that we talk about. We can attribute that to 9-11, the Patriot Act, the COVID yeah. pandemic. Or they start Vietnam, with the solution. JFK being killed. Like, yeah. They start with the solution, yeah. and they give you the reaction, and then they create the problem that, that suits their needs. It was funny. I did a little bit of digging on that, on the Hegelian dialectic. Um, I came across more than one article where it said, that that is the new tool being used by domestic extremists and right-wing propagandists. If only. (laughs) (laughs) So the Hegelian dialectic is that... uh, Problem, reaction. Solution, solution. problem, reaction thing? Or whatever the order is? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And And how... Does that date back to... Is that like an age-old... This goes back to Hegel, which is... I had to read quite a bit of Hegel as an anthropology major back in school how do you spell hegel uh h-e-g-e-l hegelian dialectic dialectic yeah okay so but it was funny to see those articles of like yeah anyone that says this the hegelian says this is the uh, fifth and final studio album by american rapper prodigy that's i think i think we're pretty close okay we'll listen to anthrax (laughs) 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 is is uh it's it, it reminds me of the fact checks, right? When we talk about like event two hundred one, we go like, "Well, I'm a little suspicious." As they laid out a tabletop exercise that it, it exactly mirrored what happened a year later, and you fact checked event event two hundred one, and they say, "Well, no, event two hundred one wasn't real. It was a hypothetical exercise." And like, that's the fact check. No one was saying that. I'm saying what yeah. happened afterwards. No, we know. It's it, a- right. <laughs> yeah. And this, ah. was, this reminded me of these articles that said, you know, that, you know, referring to the Hegelian dialectic or the model of problem, reaction, solution is a tool of right-wing extremism. It's, it's just it's funny to me. It's, it's propaganda about propaganda, which is yeah. like now yeah, we're into propagandizing some, propaganda. Right. Now we're into some fucking crazy like 40 chess. Like you, it, it can make you insane. Yeah. It's, it's, it, and then you eventually you realize like it's almost impossible to argue with dumb people. It's like they will win almost every argument. Like because the person with the information just has to tap out eventually. You're like, I just, I'm, I'm done. I can't. There's nothing I can do. Yes. About this. That's how I feel every time I talk to a flat earther. <laughs> Funny, I want to get into that. Um, <laughs> Once again, we are right on the same wavelength. <laughs> so this is where things start to get a little fun because when you talk about how these people rarely change their playbook because you know us having such short attention spans, or you know when you say when you bring up, we, I think we brought this up a couple of episodes ago. You're like, "Hey, turns out I was right about the thing." Like, yeah, we're not we're not talking about that anymore. Like. You know, we're, we're moving on to this other thing yeah. is when you looked into this stuff and then looking into it within the context of the anthrax stuff is like, you see the same names keep popping up. And it's like, the more I dug in, I'm like, it's just, they're not only not changing the play, they're not even switching out the players, like, which is fucking hilarious to me. Right. I mean, you know, train new people on the old tricks. I mean, you got to go with the veterans on this. <laughs> So I was looking at the interviews by John McCain and Joe Lieberman, who was, in case you want to make this a right. They might need thing. to switch out John McCain. Actually. Yes, yes, at this point. I don't know. I mean, 
allegedly Joe Biden still giving speeches. That's true. Roll those old bones <laughs> on over. Let's take this party started. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been a tough morning, and uh, we've got a lot of family business to take care of, so if you wouldn't mind excusing Sloan, I'd uh, appreciate it. Well, uh, sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, you, uh, you, you just produce a corpse, and uh, I'll release Sloan. I want to see this dead grandmother firsthand. It's all right, Grace. It's Ferris Bueller, a little twerp. I'm going to set a trap and let him fall right into it. Uh, uh, Ed, I'm, I'm sorry. Did, did you say you wanted to see a body? Yeah, that's right. Just uh, roll her old bones on over here and I'll dig up your daughter. You know that school <laughs> policy. Oh. Uh, was this your mother? Uh, no. Uh, Joe Lieberman, you know, if you want to make this a left versus right thing, you know, John McCain, neoconservative fucking warmongering chicken hawk and Joe Lieberman was Al Gore's running mate and they went on a press junket together they were on John on meet the press saying pushing this anthrax narrative that like uh Iraq is pushing a bioterrorism campaign against us and we need to react now because if we don't do that if you remember the quote from uh what's her name um ah shit Victoria Nolan no oh we're gonna get into her too um a uh, black woman, conservative. Uh, we don't want the smoking gun to be in the form of a mushroom cloud. Uh, Condoleezza Rice? Condoleezza Rice, thank you very much. There will always be some uncertainty about uh, how quickly he can acquire a nuclear weapon, but we don't want the smoking gun to be a mushroom cloud. They go on this press junket and they're pushing this like anthrax narrative. And I love this because when you are viewing this like within the context of the fear campaign, when we talk about like Operation Gladio, um, you notice these similarities. And so all the stuff that we talk about is going to come up here. So here we are at the pattern recognition stage of this shit, right? Because what, what, what are the attributes that we are always saying? We're pattern recognition. Um, what are the other ones? The, the attributes to what? State that again. Everything that we look at, you know, through history, when we talk about like Operation Gladio up to 9-11, you know, Vietnam, JFK, COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. it always has like these same kind of stages, right? Yeah. And pattern recognition being like one of the, one of the main ones. When we talk about, we, we have a loose saying like, my ability to perceive pattern recognition doesn't make me a conspiracy theorist. I'm <laughs> yeah. just going back. I'm looking at a track record. Yeah. You know, so when you talk to me about the climate, I'm like, spoiler alert, or a spoiler alertist, as we always say. So when you watch Joe Lee, uh, Lieberman explain that they don't know that these, they know that these anthrax attacks are highly sophisticated and weaponized, and they're being sent all over the country. And just like when they refer to the letter sent to Tom Daschle's office, Tom Broca? Tom Daschle and Tom oh, Brokaw. Oh, Tom Daschle yeah, yeah, yeah. was also, yeah, Tom, that's right. Congressman okay. Tom Daschle, and, right. and so th- most of these letters were sent. A bunch of, like, random people died. I think, Did they die? Uh, five. Five people died. It, so, and it was random post So I'm sorry. Um, was it actually anthrax that were sent to these people? Yes. It was. There's because a lot I remember of fake, at the there's time. There's a lot of fake stuff, too. I honestly haven't thought about this since right. the, the time that it happened. But I remember there being a question as to whether or not there was a lot of fake stuff. It was like uh, baking pot, baking soda, or baking yeah. powder. Um, actual anthrax was sent um, allegedly to Tom Daschle's office, Congressman Tom Daschle, 
Tom Brokaw, a lot of like a, a lot of um, ABC, Talking Heads, NBC, MSNBC, um, a lot of like random politicians and congressmen. And this how was, deadly is it? It's fairly deadly, more deadly than COVID. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, what the fuck isn't? Um, so here we are in the pattern recognition, and Joe Lieberman's on Meet the Press with John McCain and saying. Here's the thing, like, you know, this is super deadly, um, but everyone should be scared. Uh, and he's quoted as saying, you know, um, think of it like this, a highly weaponized, sophisticated version of a deadly disease now being mailed all over the U.S. And then I'm going like, this sounds really familiar to me, you know, and it wouldn't hurt if you wore uh, a mask and a gloves, you know, if you start dealing with your mail, particularly if you work at the post office. And when the press asked him, like, can you give us some more details about how this disease actually works? He goes, um, the person we have in charge of that is uh, Anthony Fauci can answer your questions on that. Who? Anthony Fauci. Do you remember? Heard, heard of him? Rings a, sounds familiar. Yeah. He's the pizza guy. No. He has a restaurant. No. Head of the... F NHS NIH NIH yeah. okay I knew I knew the name right right we deserve better psyops I see what you're saying now earlier about using the same people right over and over again and if you don't believe if you don't if you think this is silly or if you don't believe that these psyops are useful or efficient uh, at the time that we invaded Iraq seventy percent. 70% of Americans believe that Saddam Hussein was directly uh, connected to the planning of the attacks of 9-11. Which we know, if someone told you that today, you'd be like, are you, have you done no research on this whatsoever? I'm pretty sure I had that exact same reaction in 2002. Right. I thought that the day we invaded Iraq, I'm like, I, he doesn't have anything to do with 9-11. Like, what, what I remember clearly doing? being like, what the... Like, that was the, the beginning of the end for my... I am so sick <laughs> exactly. of these warmongering pedophiles! That was kind of the beginning of my big anti-war push that I got on and have never gotten off of when I was a kid. Yeah. Was, uh, really? We're invading Iraq? Like, why aren't we invading Taiwan? Or, right. you know, Austria. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Florida had more to do, it with, to do with it than any of those countries. They trained those fucking pilots. <laughs> and so when you look at, like, who was out and about in the press and propelling this state-run propaganda, it, like I was saying before, it, it pretty much reads as the membership list of the Project for a New American Century. So we have William Crystal, Donald Rumsfeld, Paul Wolfowitz, Richard Pearl, David Frum. David Frum, you remember Bush's uh, infamous Axis of Evil speech? Mm-hmm. We gotta get the terror. We gotta get the yeah. evildoers and the anthrax attacks and the bioterror. Right, he was that, a speechwriter, right? That was written by David Frum. Mm -hmm. And also the founder, one of the main founders... Speaking of regime changes, of uh, the PNAC was Robert Kagan. You want to take a wild guess who Robert Kagan is married to? I'm going to go uh, Dick Cheney. 
<laughs> now nah, they're pretty conservative there in that group. <laughs> not, not a lot of that we, yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I'm sure they are. <laughs> yeah, right. Unless you're under 12, I don't think they do right. same-sex shit. Um, fuck the EU. Oh, really? Victoria Newland. No shit. Yeah. Yeah, quite the little uh, theme going on in their marriage. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. And, you know, fuck the EU. Yeah, right. You handle Ukraine. I'll handle the Middle East uh, together as husband and wife and holy matrimony. We will fucking slowly topple uh, various democratically elected, uh, elected governments all over the world. See, she, me and my she, wife, we just do yard work together. We're pretty happy. Well, I was just going to say, like, Victoria Newland sounds, like, a, kind of charming and, and maybe pretty. I mean, if you never saw a picture of her, like, the way that she says fuck the EU has a certain kind of, like, it's got, elegance uh, to it. You know, a sweetness it's almost. Not the fr- uh, and, you know, fuck the EU. It's not the first time that's roll off her tongue. <laughs> <laughs> if you and I said it, it would sound like grating and offensive. But right. the way she says it, it's kind of like, even people in the EU are like, yeah, I mean, she's kind of got a point. So to go back to anthrax is this highly secretive and dangerous compound known as bentonite, which is a primary ingredient in all of kitty litter in the entire country, <laughs> is now that we know that this is the calling card that Iraq has basically waged a war on the largest military superpower known in world history, which makes no sense to anyone. I don't know. I mean, um, you know, everyone loves an underdog. Turns out, sit down for this. Okay. This was false. Stop it. Right. But as we talked about a couple of episodes ago, it didn't matter. We are already in Iraq. And so right. the State Department... The military industrial complex, complex, the FBI just go like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? Like, we already did what we had to do. And and you fucking dummies all bought into it. We were in Iraq murdering over a million innocent women and children. 90%. Do you know 90% of our drone strikes only kill innocent people? And that's even known as a conservative conservative estimate. I recently heard that, that the... The percentage of uh, and so and correct me if I'm wrong here, mm. but it's that's that number is based on the percentage of uh, innocent people killed versus air quotes right intended well guilty or intended targets yeah. are killed collateral damage not that they actually hit the wrong yeah target no they hit the right target they just hit but, everyone around them too yeah 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 God. So, including Americans, by the way. Right. Yeah. A lot of American citizens and women and children, as I was mm-hmm. saying. So, the Bentonite narrative was originally pushed by big time by ABC and Tom Brokaw, who also, wild coincidence, had it mailed to his newsroom. And they were off and running on this. Did he push it after it was mailed to his newsroom? Or yes. Bro? Yeah. I mean, obviously, right? Oh, he was seven, like days the first after, one. seven days after 9 11, yeah. they got it and they went. There was a solid six weeks of pushing this anthrax mm-hmm. narrative, mm-hmm. Um, but ABC was like the big time one. They just wall to wall every time, and it all hinged on the more information they got. I went back and listened to some of these reports. It all hinged on high level sources in like the State Department. 
saying mm-hmm. like we have this source, we have this source, we have this source. None of the sources were ever named, right? And they constantly referred to these sources, but then the more that independent journalists started doing more work on this, found out that like none of this is right. So the first thing they find out was like, Bet Knight was in kitty litter. How can this be a super secret compound? Like only done in Iraq, right? So some independent journalists and scientists started doing some work. And one scientist got, um, I have to find a name there. In 2011, PBS ran a documentary and they interviewed a microbiologist named Paul Kimes, is his name. His lab broke down the DNA structure of anthrax as there are several strains of it. He goes, this is a highly like weaponized as in like developed you know, strain of anthrax. And there's only one lab in the world. This is called the Ames or Eames. I've heard it just uh, pronounced as. This is the Ames strain of anthrax. There's only one lab in the world that deals with the Ames strand of anthrax. I'm going to take a wild guess. Well, I'm just going to go with, uh, I mean, obviously. You know it. You love it. Hold on. MK (laughs) Ultra. Dietrich. Fort Dietrich Alley. <laughs> Come on down. Yes. Yes. I only knew that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he told me that before. The and the reason why they knew this came from, it was so easy to identify as the strain of anthrax, the Eames strand, strand or Eames strand, is that. That was, uh, they have a lot of cats in that <laughs> fort, and it was their kitty litter. What were you do with all this was, kitty litter? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Weaponize it into some fucking pathogen and start sending it to fucking politicians. Put it in the coffee grinder. I got an idea. <laughs> is, stop me if you've heard of this before, is the only way you get a strain of anthrax, it's this virulent, is you have to... Do a I think it's virulent. Virulent? virulent? Okay, virulent. Virulent? It has virulent. to be gone through a process where in a lab over several years, if someone knows what they do. Do they try to uh, gain? Make it some, like, like a, maybe make some, the like some function the, of it. Try to gain like some to, function? function. Yeah. Right? Like gain so, advantages on the functionality. Right, 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 right. Yeah. To make it more like deadly. Vir, yeah, vir, the, virulent. The, the function of said virus, mm-hmm. uh, we want to gain some <laughs> some some advantages advantages yeah. yes Ooh, i love that pattern recognition yeah <laughs> so and if you think this is a wild conspiracy theory well eight years later now we're talking about 2011 fbi admitted this it's like yeah well that's yeah, yeah, like yeah. That's what what, we're, you know, what we're doing there. <laughs> Welcome to the party. <laughs> so where is Kerry Mullis when you need him? <laughs> so R.I.P. Let's um, let's step back for like just a second. So the U.S. Army's bioweapon vaccine program, and stop me when they sound <laughs> when this sounds familiar, is developing a path. You keep saying that. I'm eventually going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> But what I'm saying keeps coming true. Sounds like you're on. I'm getting episode. sick of saying it myself, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, as independent testing and basic knowledge of bioweapons like slowly 
kind of eliminated the narrative that the use of betonite wasn't from Iraq, right? And now we're asking, like, where did this come from, right? Because what you guys are saying, so as as you, who's someone who works in the trades, like, you have a pretty well-calibrated bullshit meter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the probably top three of your protocols, like, once someone lies to me, I start kind of analyzing everything they say at that point, right? Yeah, everything is questionable. And all of the press and everyone else started asking the same things about the FBI at this, t- at this point. Like, uh, bet nights and kitty litter. Um, this is the AIM stream, uh, which is only found in Fort Detrick, Maryland. Like, care to explain? Like, now we're analyzing everything you everything you say. And so the FBI goes, and so now this is, a, this is fun. This is, now we're at the limited hangout portion of the conspiracy. Of the program. <laughs> yeah, of the program. <laughs> is they throw up a guy named Stephen Hatfield. Like, uh, it's this guy. Yeah, he's been developing, uh, you know, anthrax, weaponized anthrax, and he, I don't know, for whatever reason, he decided to start sending it around the country to various newsrooms and politicians, you know, right before we invaded Iraq. For some, we don't know why. The guy's crazy. Stephen Hatfield goes, the fuck I was, takes the FBI to court, wins, right? Spends seven years in court. FBI pays him $5.82 million. A judge goes, there is, I think, quote, there's not a scintilla of evidence connecting this guy to these attacks. And so as most limited hangouts go, the person they tried to feed us turned out to be a red herring. The Harvey Oswald, for example. Mm -hmm. And... The key component of having a calibrated like bullshit detector, as I was saying, is once someone's lying, then you start pushing back. Like I, I need to look at like everything that this person has said at that time. And the one or thing, or just turn on the news and right if it's being said there, yes, then your radar, yeah, well, detect uh, they were wrong last week. Like why would I believe that they're right now? And one thing you do when you find a narrative that has turned out to be false is you go back to the very beginning. Go like, okay, what do we know to be true? Right? We have to start all over because they've been feeding us bullshit this entire time, the FBI in this case, with where, what, the or, who, you know, what the origins of these anthrax attacks were. Right? Well, it's not Saddam Hussein. It's not Iraq. It's not an Iraq bioweapons you know, factory somewhere, um, which, to go back, still didn't matter because we already gone to Iraq. They achieved their goals. So now they have this guy, Stephen Hatfield, and Stephen Hatfield goes, nope. Not that was not me, and sues the FBI. Of course, it took seven years. So again, enough time has passed. It didn't matter. Yeah. They were able to stave Ancient off history. stave off the masses, you know, by keeping the narrative alive. Is you go back and you look at these situations and you ask yourself, like, okay, so they were wrong, and put this within the context of the COVID pandemic, for example. As you go, like. Okay, what do we actually know to be true? And we need to start from the beginning, and we're going to build from there. This would be Occam's razor, for example. What's the most plausible explanation for what we're seeing right now? And so this is something that we hit all the time on this podcast. Like, the U.S. said they were going to take out the North Sheen pipeline, and then a little while later, Putin blows it up himself, like, Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Uh, Gary Webb 
breaks the story that the CIA was funding the crack trade in our inner cities in order to fund the Iran-Contra affair and then dies a suicide with two gunshots to the chest. <laughs> really? <laughs> if no questions whatsoever? There were over... Twice? You shot him twice? How the fuck are we going to make it look like a suicide if you shot him twice? Fucking new guys. God. (laughs) There were 25,000 flu deaths in 2020 and only 800 in 2021. Like, really? No questions whatsoever. (laughs) Two guys in MAGA hats were hanging around in... The east side of Chicago and Nigerians to, <laughs> and happened to bump in to a famous actor and they had a noose and he happened to be on a sandwich run a subway at 2 a.m. in 20 degree weather. Really? <laughs> no questions whatsoever. And this was a line of thought that led us into looking into other origins of where this anthrax bioterrorism terrorism campaign might have come from. So now everyone's queued in. And at this point, you have congressmen like your Tom Daschle, uh, Chuck Grassley. We deserve better psyops. We deserve better psyops. Yeah, Arnold Specter was another one. Now they form an independent congressional committee. <laughs> it, goes, it goes to the FBI. I go like, you guys got some explaining to do. Like, because it wasn't Iraq even though we just already have destroyed that country. That's, you know, we're not going to worry about that. So it wasn't Iraq. It wasn't this guy, Stephen Hatfield. Like, who was it? And so they, out of nowhere, this guy, director of the FBI at that point, comes up with a report, a dossier, if you will. Um, his name was... Mueller, Mueller. Yeah, Robert Mueller. So Paris. we can call the uh, the Mueller report. Let's just call it the Mueller report. <laughs> comes up with the report, go like... It's this guy, Bruce Ivins, Dr. Bruce Ivins. He's worked for the Army um, Army Biowarfare Vaccine like Division or whatever, F4D trick. He's been here for 18 years. Diligently, perfectly has developed. He's working on vaccines, vaccines for um, anthrax. And the way he does that is by taking... Um, anthrax and making it more virulent as the same thing as you know Stephen Hatfield was doing mm-hmm. the same thing that the US Army Biowarfare Division was doing and he goes everyone in congress and independent journalists like what about this guy like that's exactly he's been working on the exact same thing for 18 years that we're asking about now he's working on specific weaponized anthrax like that's his job he's been doing it for 18 years the Mueller report, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> if you will, says like, yep, that's the guy. We got him, right? And this is in, I believe, July of 2011. And he goes, yep, he's a lone wolf. He's worked, been a perfect employee this entire time. Apparently, he went off the rails to started um, eat, uh, mailing around weaponized anthrax to, you know, some kind of a terrorist campaign that he got into his head or whatever. And that time, the Congress, the Chuck Grassley and Arlen Specters and um, Tom Daschle's go like, um, 
we'd like to talk to that guy, <laughs> to be honest, because uh, the math's not adding up here uh-huh. that he would do that. Um, so he was scheduled to have a an investigation early of August of 2019, or I'm sorry, 2011. You want to know how that investigation went? Terror attacks, and the nation was traumatized again. Anthrax being sent through the mail. Five people ended up dead and no suspect in custody. Now a top U.S. biodefense researcher has apparently committed suicide, just as the Justice Department was about to file criminal charges against him in the case. The scientist, Rusi Ivins, died Tuesday at a suburban Washington hospital. He had worked for the past 18 years at the government's biodefense labs at Fort Detrick, Maryland, and according to the Los Angeles Times, had been told about the impending prosecution. This was a, a very finely powdered form of anthrax uh, that was sent in letters uh, to a number of people. Um, there has long been suspicion that someone at uh, Fort Detrick uh, was involved. Ivan's brother, Tom, confirmed to the Associated Press that his brother did commit suicide from apparently taking a... Tell me 